Hi, everybody. Welcome to Larachat Live. We're episode number 32. And today was uh, actually seemed to be a really interesting topic. It's something that a lot of us on this panel have experience with on both sides of the realm. And it, in what the title is, the management failure or developer failure. Whose fault is it? Now, oftentimes, the developer, there'll be a deadline and we all fail to meet it. Who's responsible? Did management push for a short deadline? Did development accept the short deadline? What were what what failed? So, um, what we wanted to do today was talk about a couple of these uh, kind of topics. And the the reason why this topic came up was on Medium. There was a post. Um, <clears throat> there was a uh, an article that uh, was titled the the one that I read was titled "You Fired Your Rockstar." Well, geez, I can't remember the title, but you fired your rock or good luck or good job or something like that. And it talked about um, how the company failed their developer because they put all the responsibility on this person and this person felt like they had to take the company, save it and, and have control over everything. And um, they, in, in the end, it sounded like they ended up blaming that developer for the failures, where the subsequent article was talking a bit more about I was a bit more of a management failure. So um, I wanted to talk to these guys and kind of get a sense of their experiences over the years on both sides of the, the panel there. Um, and before we get into that, I should introduce the people. I mean, we've got our regular Eric and our new regular TJ and our semi-regular Alfred and our other semi-semi-regular-ish J-Mac. Um, well, anyways, uh, thank you guys for coming on. Um, great to be back for another another uh, episode here um let's kick it off any one of you have you talk let's, let's start with the development side that's where we all started what were some of the failures that you guys went through and some lessons learned from that i think one of the the biggest it, it, so one of the biggest things is as a developer you're always learning you're always learning new patterns new workflows and it's so you're so quick to embrace uh new patterns when they emerge. I think one of the biggest mistakes I made early on as a developer is that I would hook into a pattern and say, okay, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm doing, and I would start to get tunnel vision and and not see the bigger... I, I could easily start to blur out the bigger picture and just start working a particular problem my way and not look at other possible solutions. I was I was always very guilty of not reaching out and kind of getting more input on how I should be attacking um, issues, I think was my biggest kind of flaw. Yeah, that's a good one. Along those lines, just not taking enough time to plan, like jumping in, like, because it's so much more exciting to code, you know? Yeah, lack of planning's always bit me in the butt, you know, getting really excited. And I know I can relate to both of those things for sure. It's it, kind of hopping on the hype train on as far as like patterns and different different things and um right now i'm working at a, a company that we we have our own internal products um and our own like public products as well but uh, previous i used to work into an agency and the hardest thing for me that that always kind of snuck up and, and really hurt me was every project was different you know i'd i'd, I'd learn something and you know the next one would be you know totally different than that and anytime i had to go back it was super painful how about you, J-Mac? Anything on your side? You're the lone ranger here. 
He's like, no, no, I do everything right the first time. (laughs) No, that's not true. I was laughing, though, because I just, your dog, Eric, looked like a pillow, and then it, like, started scratching itself right in the middle of you talking, and I was like, it's alive. That is my office manager, yes. That's awesome. (laughs) Keeping, Keeping the tasks. Yeah, I mean, it's been a little while. I've been fortunate to work on some teams recently that um, either build their own products, so that that kind of allows you a little leeway, or um, I guess have kind of been very, like, um, extreme, extreme programming, uh, literally. So, uh, but yeah, when I work web web agencies, like, it was very difficult, um, those teams. So I'll probably try to reference those as we continue to chat. That's cool. Um, I think for me, one one of the things on on my side was communication. Sometimes just, you know, I, I I think I forget who said. I think Eric. You get tunnel vision. You just get into the zone. You start coding before you know what the deadline has already arrived, and and um, you haven't told anybody, and your manager, your stakeholder, or whatever that I'm still a week away. And then they 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 flip and they go, "What? You said it would be done this Friday. We have other things we need to do now. You you put to get behind our sales or our our uh, goals or or our advertising." <clears throat> <clears throat> like, um, I think over the years, I've really learned to try and uh, communicate where landmines are and uh, as soon as possible. And, and you know, let's say we sit in a planning meeting, we estimate a week to do the work, and halfway through, we find the landmine that's going to take up to a month. Well, I, I having calling those out sooner than later has always been helpful. Even sometimes in the case of, uh, what's the saying, um, uh, calling wolf, sometimes you may uh, call out, say, hey, I think there's a potential problem. And then, you know, you go to sleep and the next day you come in and you just have that moment of, oh, wait a minute, there's the fix. That I think that's okay because <clears throat> you're still hitting, hopefully hitting your original deadline or, or the fix isn't as long, but at least you called it out. And I, I feel like if a manager gave you crap because you called something out, then you, you pulled it back saying, oh, wait, no, it's not as big, that goes to the manager's fault. That's not your fault. Um, yeah, but there's actually another side to that as well. Um, and just I think we've all been in the position where, we, where we've been both on both sides of this fence. But also as a manager, like – there, there comes a point where I need a developer to take ownership over a problem and tackle it. Uh, it's so easy to sit there and keep questioning and questioning, saying, oh, well, you know, this is a potential problem, this is a potential problem. Uh, and sometimes you need to say, okay, I understand that, that there are potential issues here. I need to know how long it's going to take you to get this done. And that, that really starts to become a frustration of mine because – uh, when in, in, it might be part of the the business I'm in, where I have, I, you know, we're kind of a development agency where we have clients, and I need to answer to the clients. And when I'm kind of start like I, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels, just trying to get a simple estimate out of a development team and saying, okay, I realize I understand there are these unknown variables out there, but I need an estimate. That becomes really frustrating for me. I think you touched on something a little bit there too. And I think there's a difference between, you know, in your position, 
you're, you know, you've got a team underneath you, but you, you yourself have development experience. I think it all depends on, you know, if you're, you know, your supervisor, your managers, your team leads, like have development experience or not. I think that totally changes the way you have to approach a situation. Yeah, I agree with you totally. And, and I've always been, so we can, I guess this kind of factors into this discussion. I've always struggled a lot. Um, for, well, first thing, I've worked in big enterprises before where managers that are supervisors of departments have no working knowledge of the the subject matter that they're supervising. So they have Java developers and they themselves not only have they never developed in Java, they've never developed. But, you know, somehow they've been put in this position. I've always struggled with that. And I guess that's just kind of my, I don't know. Um, I mean, there's that's a lifestyle for people in enterprise. I mean, that's how they work their way up through a chain. But to me, I'm, I'm like, I could never manage people that I don't know how to do their job or I don't understand the core principles of the industry that are the what they're working on um that's an issue for me but so do you the think, one, good oh do you think it's a requirement in dev then for a manager or management to have development background i think i think a recursive knowledge of development i mean just like anything in my, in my opinion just like anything that you're working in you need a recursive knowledge of that industry if, if you want to be an efficient manager i I find I find it hard, and I know there are people that believe that management is its own thing. Like knowing how to manage people is its own talent, but not having a recursive knowledge of the the subject matter of the people you're managing, I can't get my head around. Maybe that's why I would never make just a good general manager because I don't feel like I could do that. I, I think that I think that sorry, I think the door swings uh, both ways just because, um, for example, I, I was told a long, long time ago that if I wanted to, um, you know, I, I had to make a choice, basically, I had to make a choice that I was either going to be a specialist, staying in a technical role, or I was going to move into management and therefore away from the code. And I mean, this was like a decade ago. So it was really great advice at the time. But I guess the point I'm making is that um, I think the door, again, kind of swings both ways in the fact that I have made the choice to, to, to kind of go more that specialist role. So I'm, no matter what organization, large or small, I'm always going to be capped out at some kind of like senior or architect or whatever kind of role. And I'm totally fine with that because I don't like managing people. I don't think that I'm a manager of people per se, like some of the administration, you know, administrative items or, or personnel items. I'm just not good at. I'm more of like a get shit done kind of person and that doesn't always fit so well so you know I, i'm just pointing out kind of the, the flip side of the coin and and, and as developers i think because most of us are developers i know some of us have uh you know run businesses and so forth so we have some of that management hat as well but i feel like uh it's an important point i don't know see where it takes us so what i want to touch on is what eric said about having um the knowledge so as a manager of developers, how much knowledge should this person have about the technic technicalities of a ticket, let's say, is it a bug ticket? How far in depth should we go to understand that ticket? Because for me, the I feel like the responsibility should be put on the developer because that's what we're paying them to do. It's your job to fix that ticket. It's your job to call out to me and say, 
here are the risks, here are the pros and cons. I can't sit there on every single ticket, feature, task, and say, say to this person, well, unless they're a junior, I would, but I can't say to this person, well, here's, here's the risk for this. Here's the uh, important thing to know about this. Like, there's, I mean, I, I can do that if it was a small app, but a larger app, larger scope, you, I feel like you have to start putting that trust on the developer to do their job. I think that's a key word right there, trust. That's where if it's your team, that a team that you've built, a team that you trust, then sh sure, that is definitely their role. But you still have to have a recursive knowledge of what it, or I keep saying that. I feel you still need to have a recursive knowledge because if you didn't and a developer came to you, a developer you hired, a developer you thought you could trust, comes to you and says, oh, it's going to take me three days to change this template, and you not having any idea about the, the technical effort involved in doing that, you may be inclined to say, wow, three days, that seems a little longer than I thought it should take, but okay, if you say it's three days, it's three days. Whereas, and I am not faulting any developer who goes down a manage, managerial path. Uh, if you're a developer and that's the path you want to go to, I don't do it. I think we need more of them, to be honest with you, because, because you need those managers with that technical understanding of development. I 100% I, I disagree just to play the devil's oh. advocate. Just to play the devil's I, advocate. Like, I'd rather have a manager that, let's, let's talk about two things, trust and trust, right? Trust in me, but trust as a team that we have a system to quote accordingly, to plan accordingly and to track accordingly, right? And I think that lacks a lot. It's always like, I, a lot of the places I've been, it's like, how are we doing today? It's like, I don't know, what's our velocity? What was our velocity last sprint? You know, where are we at now? Where should we be at now? These are all techniques that are tried and true that we can apply as a team. Uh, and as far as trust goes, I think sometimes when managers who were developers, um, I think sometimes they get too involved at a level that they shouldn't be. And I think if they would focus on that higher level management with accuracy and projection and all those other details that can help us like better pace ourselves down below, um, I think we, we, it would make for a better team. Um, but again, I, I don't disagree with you really 100%. I'm just saying I think there's a good other side to this. I think for me, I totally agree that, you know, sometimes developers getting into management get way too micromanaged and way too, like, laser focused on, like, the, the code implementation rather than, you know, actually managing the team, managing the tasks, making sure things are, you know, making sure you're maintaining that velocity. Um, I guess in like a perfect world, I'd like to see like a manager who's an absolute domain expert that is really good at managing a team, but has fuzzy knowledge of, of how the tech stack works. And not necessarily like an expert developer, but just has a working idea of how everything plays together, kind of the ins and outs of, you know, kind of like the programming workflow and then be able to collaborate. I think it's absolutely essential between the developer and the management to have, um, you know, a lot of collaboration and a lot of trust between each other. And that's, I think that's a pretty ideal team. I, 
Yeah, I mean, just to piggyback off that, the the recent teams that I worked on, like I mentioned, um, you know, I'm to draw on some of these management versus you know developers. I'm thinking back, you know, a couple jobs, but the most recent job that I worked at, um, the project owners. The difference between a manager and a project owner at our last job was like kind of obsolete to me. But so meaning that a good project owner um, on this team that I worked on was all we needed. We otherwise we were like completely self-managed, and that that's totally rare, I think. But but to TJ's point, I think if you found a good project owner, someone that you could go to to answer those domain questions, you know, those business questions about the projects that you're working on, is is far better than some manager I can go talk to about when I'm going to take a vacation or something. You know what I mean? Someone that's completely non-tech to kind of the point that we've been talking about. Um, so, I mean, personally, I would take that over management, but I think to get there, these self-managed teams, you know, I think is rare. I think it's difficult, but uh, and it boils down to trust too. So kind of all these things we're chatting about. I 100% agree. I'd much rather have, um, you know, somebody who has ultimate domain logic to be able to answer the questions that I need to get it done. But I think that is kind of like a, a unicorn team of, you know, developers who are very responsible, very knowledgeable, you know, self-motivated. And, and I mean, yeah, that, that'd be the absolute ideal. And I think Eric, back to your point as a manager, you would be like, huh, he took three days or, or, but the other person took two. Eventually you would see these patterns at a non-technical level of like getting a sense of size and, and scope and people's skill levels, their, their velocity. It would come out in these, these processes, I think. Yeah, I think those people weed themselves out over time, you know. Yeah, maybe they'll maybe they'll hang at a job six months longer than they should have, you know, if they were padding estimates or writing crappy code or something and, and no one was really kind of had any oversight on that. But as soon as you hire a decent dev and have any kind of code review, like that, that person's it's gonna catch up to them. So don't do that, devs. Well, that just means that uh, that just showed how important code reviews are. Because I know a lot of companies don't do them to this day. It's a small investment that pays off huge, in my mind. Um, one other thing that we uh, that um, <clears throat> when I posted this on Twitter, we had a couple of responses. Like somebody had said, "They I have been a Rick before," and I continue to look for a company where I can avoid. Sorry, <clears throat> when I say Rick, it, Rick was the, uh, I guess, the character in that Medium post that ended up doing all this, this work, all this, um, all this, all the the work that he got fired for. So basically becoming the rock star guru of everything that everybody ever had to do for the company. So um, this guy, and he continued to look for a company where he can b avoid being that person again. He cautioned where he works. So um, <clears throat> in my mind, <clears throat> there are two people involved there. There's obviously the Rick who is accepting this work, saying yes to everything, taking on all that ownership. And then there's also the management who is, putting all that ownership on that person, all that stress, all that, everything on that person. And <clears throat> again, key word comes back to being trust. So if we were Sesame Street, I think trust would be our word of the day here. Um, but um, this person is avoiding looking for that company, but is the company trusting him too much? Is he not trusting his team around him? Yeah. Yeah, that article, uh, I think, was a good example of, uh, 
like even if you read the, the the first like sentence, he was our top talent. And if you read the rest of it, it, it's one of those funny perception moments of their their view of top talent was like way down here, and that was Rick, where it should have been way up here. Like Rick was not top talent. If you read that article, everything about Rick screamed is like a control freak. Well, I have to post that. I'm I, I must have been sick that day on the internet. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it's uh, actually in the Slack. If you go back a, a couple of days, it, yeah. it is important to kind of highlight a little bit more of of, of this uh, medium post because uh, first thing you you have to take it with a grain of a, of salt because it is coming from one person's perspective, you know, the writer of this article. But the the what the artic- what the post was stating was that as we said. They had this rock star developer who started hoarding so much of the knowledge of the implementation of the coding that he he felt irreplaceable first off, but he also started to get this uh, complex where nobody could understand how his genius like he 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 was he was so on another level that you know nobody else could understand the genius that he was working on where. From the management perspective, they just kept seeing timelines slip, deadlines missed, implementations not happening, and they they kind of came to the realization of he may be as talented as he thinks he is, he may be the best developer we have, but the reality of it is we're not producing with him, and they they had come to the conclusion that they were going to let him go, let the team take over the efforts that they were working that this Rick person from Rick and Morty, by the way, Rick is like the smartest man in the universe. So that's, that's uh, the, the, the character, but uh, they decided they were going to let the team take over the efforts that this one developer was working on. And they managed to wrangle all these deadlines and deliverables and, and get some product produced and there were compromises to that, and they outlined some of that in the article where they, they had to take a hard look at some of the stuff that they were trying to accomplish, uh, see you know how much of an impact it actually had to their user base and start cutting you know features. But that, that, w- that was something that, that they feel they had to do to get the product delivered. Um, so that's kind of important. And, and yeah. that's yeah. where we, we, we've all kind of went back to I mean, ideally, we've never been that person where we thought, you know, we were above everybody else. But I think we've all worked with people who really thought highly of their of their abilities. <laughs> well, you know, I, I admire confidence, but too much confidence, perhaps, and too much selfishness, uh, lack of trust, <clears throat> that just becomes a headache for all of us. And I've worked in situations where we've had to work with, with people who have that kind of that uh, mindset. And um, it just creates such a headache. You, and I, I've, I've um, been involved at a manager level and a developer level trying to work with these persons. You, you can't reason with them because they know better. You can't work with them because their way is the right way. So you don't have a, a team atmosphere. You don't have a collaboration. Your culture destroyed in you know in the startup world everything is about culture and i'm using air quotes here um but uh i can't stress enough how much of a headache it is to work with someone like that 
And I would love it if people are self-aware enough to be able to say, wait a minute, am I becoming this person? I, I need to pull back. I need to, the person that sits next to me, I need to work with him to understand, to, to trust this person, to trust my other coworker that she can do the job, that he can do the job. Um, have you guys ever had that kind of experience where you've kind of had to go and pull back and say, wait a minute, I, I need to open up my trust. I need to train this person better. I need to work better, to be a better teammate. I think it's a vicious cycle, you know, whether you're management or development, anyone at all. Like if you get in a situation where you, you know, start believing that you have to do everything yourself, like there's no way out of that hole. Like you're just going to continue to go deeper and deeper down because every time you do something, you're kind of in a way, you know, rewarding yourself that, well, it wouldn't have got done without me. And you're kind of like proving to yourself and proving yourself that, see, I had to be the one to do this. And it just gets worse, uh, you know, yeah, like I mean, just, yeah, I agree. I agree. Like for me, like one of the things I need to work on is delegation. Like that is a skill as a developer. If you don't have your, you'll never, I mean, you'll hopefully never become a manager, but you'll never become a good developer if you can't learn to delegate. Yeah. And I mean, even if you don't trust, I mean, honestly, let's just be real. Like, even if you don't trust the other developer to like get it done, yeah. Implement something that allows you to still have some oversight, you know, like, yeah, like code review. Just say, hey, can you send this yeah. to me when you're done? I want to look at it because yeah. then you're benefiting everybody, right? You're not having to do it yourself. So you're not stressed. You're giving them the opportunity. You know, you're doing the right thing by delegating and you're potentially leveling up their skills with hopefully some, some, you know, positive, um, you know, critiques on, on the code review. And you're building that trust, like we're saying. Exactly. You're going to start knowing how they work. I've been enjoying like UML charts and other things too, to be like, this is what I'm thinking. And hopefully it comes out more along those lines. Yeah. I think an interesting twist, maybe um, just to kind of tangent the conversation is, what do you do when you're a developer on a team? So a lot of times I think it's easy to see where like this Rick scenario is set up with a solo developer and management. But I think what's also interesting is when maybe you have a small team of developers and there's a Rick on your team and you're another developer. Because I'm kind of in a scenario like that actually currently where, you know, there's, there's someone who's been there a really long time and they know the product. Like they know everything about it 100%. But because they've been at the company so long, I don't think they realize that they might not be up to date on like some of the latest, you know, ways in which we might build um, you know, something or develop something, right? Because they've kind of used that company's way and, and they haven't had the experience and the exposure to see other things. And so sometimes those conversations can be very difficult because, you know, I'm, I'm talking to this Rick and I'm like, hey man, like, what do you think about this? And it's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And like, you kind of just get constantly steamrolled, you know, because it's like management looks down and sees them as being the one who knows everything, even though you were hired, you know, to kind of join the team. I don't know. Do you guys, you guys kind of have that or see that or what do you, what do you kind of think about that scenario? Asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, you should have said that first. Um, I've, I've actually been through that. And uh, for me personally, it, it, you build um, anxiety in your gut having to confront this person to say, you know, what you're doing is out of date. There's a better way. You're using MD5 hashing that's not ideal anymore, as an example. And then you have to really try and convince this person. And sometimes it just 
there is no convincing because they're so set in their ways. I, I don't know how to deal with someone like that, um, except just continue and continue and continue. And eventually, over time, what I noticed, management started seeing who was making the poorer decisions, and then the, the tide shifted. The, I, I don't have an, uh, that was just the luck of my situation, I think. I don't have anything on how to deal with it directly. I think I've I've been in lots of situations like the 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 opposite end of this where it's the the solo developer situation where it's maybe a small team of like front end devs and I'm the only back end dev or you know like I'm the only dev there right now and it's just me and management and it starts to feel kind of like this this Rick situation um, and and it, it, I, I can I can I can sympathize it totally sucks but I think what I would do being faced with you know, a Rick on a smaller team um, would really just, you know, open up that communication and eventually that person will weed themselves out for sure. It could just be stressful, you know, during that, especially as developers who, you know, I can handle confrontation, but it doesn't mean I like it, you know, like, so it's one of those scenarios where, you know, you can, you can, especially as a developer, like you can get real, things can escalate real quick when you're like, both think you're real factual about these technical details, you know? And so it can be tough. And while I definitely agree and believe that, that hopefully management will be able to kind of see this and, and things will just kind of plane out over time. It's, it's one of those things where these moments can be difficult. You know, those conversations can be difficult. Can I you, don't get me started about type-ins. <laughs> <laughs> I think it goes back to trust though. And you've, you've got to, in that scenario specifically, and, I, and I've been in that situation as well, you, first thing, you've got to acknowledge that, at, at least for a while, you're in somebody else's house. This one developer has domain knowledge, has been working in this code base. Yes, they may have a very tunneled understanding of the implementation and how things work, but it's what's got let them survive in this code base for as long as they did. Uh, I think it's important in those situations to just really do a good job at picking your battles. Like you don't have to win every conversation and find those battles where you're like, okay, th this is something I feel strongly about. I really want to sit down and talk to you about it and then start to establish that trust and let the person realize I'm not here to make life hard for you. This is going to be beneficial for the both of us. Leverage my, my knowledge, leverage my understanding, and things get easier. Yeah, I think the worst thing you can do is sit there and both fume about it silently. I think opening up the communication between the two of you is, you know, the best way to go about it. Whatever you do, just don't yell out Pickle Rick to him. Pickle Rick! <laughs> you guys have to watch the show to get that. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah. But I think like like Eric says, don't let it get to you. Don't get caught up in the battles. Pick the ones that really matter, but otherwise you're just going to ruin your day just trying to let it get to you. Um, it, it yeah, might I think, take time. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. When when I do kind of have those moments, um, you know, with Rick, it's it's one of those things where. Um, you know, don't get caught up in Slack. I've noticed, like, sometimes I'll get caught up in Slack, and you know, it's like a Slack battle, and and uh, it's a lot better to just go and talk to them in person. Like, remember, there's a human over there. So um, that's something I've noticed that's helped me, anyways. 
We should make a Slack bot that's like, uh, you shouldn't be doing this. This isn't healthy. <laughs> it just talks to you. Yeah, your ratio to back and forth Slacks is too high. Like, take five minutes. That's actually a great idea, I think. Yeah, business opportunity there. Uh, I mean, you, I've already got something that takes up too much time. <laughs> yeah. But hey, um, one of our Lair Chat members, Marcel, uh, yeah. Play show, play thought, I don't know. But he built botman.io. Anybody who's listening who wants to build this, botman.io, great software. Laravel, too. Um, you know, one of the things that our other um, uh, inconsistent panelist, Matt Lance, who said he would be here, but I have no idea. Um, he, he mentioned that he is, uh, he sometimes gets in that Rick position, but he, a key point, and, and it follows the trust uh, aspect too, is the, the, the developers, not just the Rick, but every developer needs to be able to be comfortable to ask for help and be able to say no. Um, and I think that's something that's a bit of a lost art is uh, developers who uh, have the ability to say no. How, do you guys struggle with saying no? Because I know I do. I know mm -hmm. I definitely do. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> I <almost> said no. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a really good one, though, because, like, yeah, it's a good point, though. It, it is, it, especially when you're trying to prove yourself, you know? Well, and, and I get caught up in, in the challenge. It's like there, there are definitely times that I should have said no where there's that voice in my head like, oh, yeah, we can do this. We can do this. It'll be fun. Let's 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 tackle this. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm not great at saying no, and that's not a good position to be in. That's definitely an art form that a good manager will will know, and a good developer should get their head around. Yeah, I definitely have a problem with it. I'm getting better, but I think innately, like us as developers, we do this because we like solving problems. So if someone comes to us with a problem yeah, we want to solve it. Like for sure. That's what, that's why we do what we do. And uh, yeah, man, it's, it's definitely hard to say no, especially if it's a, you know, a, a good juicy feature. There's a cat behind you. I see your, your office manager just showed up. <laughs> I've got a cat and a dog at my feet too. It's, I've got a zoo. That's awesome. All right. So let's, let's talk a little bit from the manager's perspective. Um, as a manager, what do you think some of the biggest mistakes managers make when trying to manage developers? Too much trust? Go ahead, you can say it. <laughs> so my take is managing um, timelines. So we work in an agile environment. So let's say we say we're going to get this work done in a two-week sprint. Halfway through, uh, a critical item comes in, or you know, stakeholders above me come along and say, "Hey, hey, stop the presses! We need feature X, Y, Z in right now." And um, as a as a manager or even as a developer, I might just say yes. Going back to being able to say no, I might say yes because hey, I I don't feel comfortable saying no. But what I always forget is I need to make it clear that if I do this work. My, what I promised at the end of the sprint is not going to be there. It had to be extended. So then, it, because I didn't communicate that when I took on this new work, 
I come to the end of the sprint and uh, they look at me and say, well, where is this feature you promised? And well, then I have to go, but well, you, you, you pulled me off and like, yeah. um, what? <laughs> they, 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 don't never remember. they never remember. I built this other thing you asked. They're like, where's this other thing I wanted to begin with? They never remember the thing you built for them. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like one of the few things when I was uh, a manager on a team that I was really good at identifying, and I think other managers, especially non-tech managers, would have a problem with is identifying burnout. So one of those things, um, again, kind of going back to just developers by nature, we're pretty quiet. We're not going to go to management, you know, necessarily in, until we need something. And I think that's a key thing to understand, like, about your audience, is that if I'm coming to like you as a manager like and not talking about projects not talking about something technical and like kind of just griping or venting like in my mind that's a pretty prime indicator that something's going on with this person that otherwise never talks to me like you know you really need to try to do your best to figure out what that is they might be talking about something random they might be griping about a project and you might think it's very focused like to a person or whatever or the work but um, you need to be able to pick up on the pattern there because if that happens, I think that's the easiest way as a manager to identify a pattern. Like if a dev's come to you and they're just griping about kind of arbitrary stuff on, on like regular intervals or increasing intervals, like that's a, a surefire way to spot some burnout and put them on a slower project or something like that. Yeah, just talking to them is tantamount, like just giving them that, that opportunity to sit down one-on-one -on -one perhaps and just voice the frustration because um, I think a lot of the complaints that people have about code and developers have about code in my, not everything, but the majority are, um, they just want to be heard. They want to know that someone else understands that there's tech debt. 80% of our, like, like someone is saying 80% of our code is not tested. I need to tell them, I need to have them under, understand so that, when uh, the production build fails, well, it's because we didn't have tests, goddammit. Um, Alfred, you were going to say something, it looked like. No, I mean, there's, there's a lot to say. I do like your point about delegation, uh, about time management. And uh, again, back to these processes, it's like if you do the proper sprint, then the moment something's added is the moment the sprint's dropped, right? So having rules... Uh, that are manager level rules and developer level. It's like you're creating a culture uh, uh, of these rules that is for the best for everybody. Uh, so it's a lot easier than to know what to do when the client wants something that time in the sprints in process, you just drop it. So, and you just jump on that other thing with knowing that it impacts everything. So. Yeah, that's a surefire way for management to lose trust from development yep. is that uh, I've been on teams where like we clearly defined like, look, if anything's not pre-planned in the sprint, it's an injection and we, we, you know, it's not that we can't do it. We just have to know. And like management and sales would come up with all sorts of ways, like not to use the word injection. Like, even though by definition, that's exactly what it is. Like it wasn't pre-planned and you're not even like giving me a good reason. And it's just, I don't know, that, that's bad. You know? No, I mean, we're on a project now that's due at a certain time and the features still aren't even done yet. Like the planning of them. And we're like, what, what is this? This is, but these are those trust moments where like this can't happen again. We're losing. It, it's a lot. It, but these, again, these aren't brain surgery or science. It's, these are common patterns that there's, there's techniques around. So managers and devs could do good to find something they agree on and, 
and master those techniques um, for real. <laughs> well, yeah, I've been on a, in companies where there's a lot of chaos, sales, uh, marketing, blah, blah, blah. They all, uh, CEO, C-level people are coming straight to the developer saying, I have this fantastic idea. We have to do it now. Um, and that's, that's actually very, very common. And that, that's a culture of uh, not being able to say no, in my mind. Because you have a lot of developers who have the people who are coming to them. And they don't have that. They're de they, they look at themselves as a developer. At least I know I did. And you, you don't feel that you can say no. Um, and I think that's something if anybody is watching and, and works in that, that chaos environment, whether they are making it or whether they're receiving it, you have to be able to say no. I think that's a tantamount rule to um, being able to have a work-life balance is knowing your limitations, knowing to say no, and I don't know, achieving that that harmony, not not achieving burnout. A perfect example of that is I keep going to Sean and saying, "Hey, can I be on the show this week?" And he does can't say no, so here I am. <laughs> but J Mac, I think you had a great point uh, that that is would definitely be one of the talents of a manager is being able to identify the human aspect of their, their team. And we're all guilty of it. We all are developers. We all start to turn inward, especially when, when we're pushing through code and we start to lose sight of things like bathing and, and, you know, managing, uh, you know, just managing our mental state. And for a manager who can sit there and, and identify that, I think is it's super, super valuable. I've worked with those managers before. And exactly what you said, I, I would go to them and I'd be talking about something completely different. And they would be able to identify this isn't what's bothering you and, and start to turn me back in the right direction. So Anybody out there who's a manager who, who's wondering what they can do for their team, that's it. Learn the human aspect of it and, and learn to manage that piece of it. Man, that's such a strong attribute that I think a lot of managers need, need to pick up on. I think another attribute of like a really good manager, especially in front of like, you know, a development team is being able to insulate the team and kind of, you know, to bounce a lot of those like requests that are coming in those like last minute things like we got to have this feature i think a lot of times it's it, it falls on the developer to try to figure that out when you know the manager should really be doing everything they can to insulate the development team from having to deal about it like deal with it or even know it exists yeah, I mean, when management's just basically passing the buck from the client, especially like in an agency environment, I mean, it's just office space at that point. Like, I'm getting told seven times where my TPS reports are. Like, I got no one on my side. Yeah, I've been there. Um, you know, what I want to do is go back to what uh, J-Mac said about um, burnout. Um, well, you were, you were talking about it from the perspective of, of the person staying at the company, I, I assume. I want to talk about something on things that you can recognize of a developer who's going to quit on you. Because sometimes you'll have a developer that you love and, and think it's fantastic, think things are going well, and then they just up and quit on you. Um, what are some of the, the things to watch for that um, you know someone might be leaving? I think that burnout aspect is one. Once a developer starts getting burnt out, 
it's easier for them to find a job than to solve that situation. Um, but also complaining a lot more, finding hatred in um, the work and the job, uh, missing meetings, uh, not being as vocal as they used to, you know, kind of just tuning out. I think those are key things of uh, a disgruntled developer that you're going to lose. And if you have that kind of uh, developer that you want to keep, you have to watch for those kind of things. What are some other things that we can watch for in our developers that to make sure that they are being um, kept happy, I guess. Oh, I guess none of us know the solution to this one, hey? I guess like this, this episode could really be titled, you know, have good communication. I think that's, uh, I, so, so less of a, a, a sign, but more of just like really solid mitigation. Um, you know, I hate talking about team culture. I, I want to phrase it more as like team chemistry, just having a really good chemistry across your team where you can have that communication of, you know, talking about burnout, talking about where you're at. Um, you know, as much as we all love being in meetings, uh, you know, having having one-on-ones with your team or, you know, having a monthly like super casual lunch or, or casual team activities where you can kind of pick up on a lot of these signs I think can go a long way to mitigate it. Even just I, I, retro, you know? I love what you said there about culture um, and chemistry. Because so many times you'll see on job postings or recruiters, they're like, this company's got the best culture. And then what, you're really, what they really mean is the company has a foosball table. But chemistry, that, that's what we're looking for as developers and even managers. We're looking for that chemistry with our team. And I think that, is a way better word, and I'm going to steal it. Don't be knocking foosball now. Oh, no, I'm not, but come on. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, any other gotcha that you guys might know about when you see a developer that's just really struggling? Maybe they will quit, maybe they won't, maybe, but perhaps it's just something where you see that and you know they need that pickup. No, I think that's a lot of it. And like to, to kind of go back to what he said, it's such a reoccurring topic in this conversation of communication and trust, communication and trust. And uh, I think once that is established, things like knowing the developer, knowing that they can go to a manager and open up to them and, and talk through some things uh, becomes a lot easier. My whole team knows when I'm burning out and I know when a lot of my team's burning out and we'll, you know, do what we can to support each other or, you know, try to go, you know, we'll go out on lunch and go blow off some steam and, and you know, we have a really strong communication between us. And I think even if, you know, the project is really bearing down on you and everybody's kind of feeling that burnout, I think, you know, you can really help your teammates kind of combat that without really you know, affecting getting the project done. Yeah, I think kind of just going back to kind of an offshoot of the original question, you know, I, I don't I don't know exactly how management could save a, a developer from, uh, from like, I guess, um, quitting. But I think as a developer, you know, and this is something I've kind of thought about a lot because, you know, I guess from a resume perspective, I, I've worked at like a lot of places. I, I mean, I've probably had about 20 different jobs. And so I think, um, you know, I wrote a post maybe five or six years ago now about why I leave a job. And it's actually still one of my top 
you know, trafficked posts. And, and I think what I've filtered it down to now and is really, um, you have to ask yourself if you're a developer and thinking about quitting, you have to kind of go through this questionnaire of like, what would make this better, right? And maybe uh, you think, oh, well, if the company changes, well, the reality is that's never going to happen. Oh, well, maybe if I get paid more. Um, but it's one of those things, well, well, how much more would it really take, right? Just kind of focusing in on the compensation. Like, because honestly, it's, it's one of those situations where that might not allow, um, that just might buy you some time, right? So at the end of the day, like, you really have to know what your value is and, and kind of what you're willing to, to take <laughs> in a way for that value because it's a business it's a business transaction and you know we have to remember that it, it's not necessarily personal like if you're thinking about quitting because your job's not kind of holding up their end of the bargain their end of the contract and the deal to, to be an employee then uh, you know maybe it's just time to move on and that kind of brings me to a different no not different um, a continuation of that question um, you talked about 20 different jobs. Uh, for me, probably close to 10, maybe, maybe not 10, but you know, on average, every few years, I'll find a new company. And, and my reasons are because I'm not being challenged enough or I, I need a new, something new. I need to learn something different. Uh, I, I just think it all comes down to the challenge for me. Um, how do you, I'm actually really curious about this. Like, how do you deal with going to an interview and having jumped so many jobs. Do you find that people look down on you for that because you haven't stayed with the company for a long period of time? I think it depends how you explain it. Like if you, uh, if you have a good reason for why you've, why you've had, you know, jumped around so much, then I think it's fine. I think if you come in and don't really have a good reason for it, then yeah, it's definitely a problem. Yeah, I think I think that that's true. I, I think um, you know, if you, in my scenario, I'm not I'm just older, I guess, than everybody. But it's one of those things where, you know, it's it's. Uh, I'm not talking about maybe like six jobs in three months. You know what I mean? I think that's difficult to explain to TJ's point. But it's one of those things where, um, you know, I guess if you stay at a company for two years, especially in the tech industry, I don't look at that as any kind of mark on your resume, you know, especially if they're in different cities or you had to kind of move around for work or anything along those lines, like that's easily explained. So I, I definitely would not, you know, th this isn't 1950 anymore. We all don't go like my grandfather and work at GE for 50 years. I mean, totally awesome, but that's just not what kind of the society really, that's, that's more rare, I guess, is the point, I, I believe. Do you, one thing though is, um, I don't think you did it for these reasons, but I think you would have to be conscious of like, am I running away from myself, right? Like you could easily be creating your own problems or not be creating your own solutions. So you gotta, you know, if the place isn't the right fit, yeah, leave. It's not why stay, right? Um, but, you know, keep an eye on yourself and make sure you're not, you know, looking for grass that's greener on the other side, so. No, that's a great point. I mean, I think um, there was some jobs a couple back that I know personally, like I moved because I thought I had outgrown the company, but really I found that when I moved between these these few jobs, like two or three of them in a row, I did kind of carry uh, something with me that was on my side and that really contributed to to probably me not having the best experience at, at those earlier jobs. Agreed. Um, so that's here. a great point. Yeah. But, but, I, I, I've got to ask an honest question. Don't you feel in our field as developers 
don't you feel that maybe you grow quicker and become a stronger developer by job by job hopping and working on different problems, different projects, working with within different teams? Because I always felt that way. Like as a developer, it, it you. you I, the the stronger de- whenever I've come across a strong developer, it, it's rare. It's rarely be, they they're rarely a strong developer because they've worked on one project their entire career. It's usually they've done multiple jobs, worked on multiple projects with multiple teams and multiple companies. One hundred percent agree. Um, like I, I wouldn't have been able to touch it many different technologies if I didn't. If I was still at the first company I I worked at. Um, I wouldn't have even probably gotten into Laravel. I uh, probably would. I don't even know where I would be, but um, wouldn't be where I am now, for sure. I think there's a tipping point. I think that works, and, and by no means should this be a strategy. But I, I do think it's a, it's kind of a. Um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but it's it's one of those things that kind of ends up occurring because you've moved around jobs because you get that exposure and so forth. But I think you know, in my case, I. I don't think there's been a difference for me between like 12 and 20, you know what I mean? Like, um, I think you got that early on, maybe at a few jobs in a, in a, in a few different technology stacks, but it's not a sheer number of jobs moving around. It's like all of a sudden I've, okay, I've worked at my 21st job. Like I'm the best developer ever. <laughs> nice. Nice. See, I get that. I watch Rick and Morty. Okay. So I, we're getting close to the end of time, but we do have a question from the chat. Uh, Mike Broner had a great, great question. Um, what are some tips people can use to keep an open mind to prevent from being a Rick? So let's say you are you you are the top developer within your team within your organization. You realize that. You know everybody else real, realizes that. What do you do to kind of not make that become an obstacle or not let too much of it go to your head? Man, I think that's a really strong sign of a good time to mentor. You know, if you're if you're the the top developer and great answer, you, TJ. Great I, answer. I think it's the perfect time to mentor the rest of your team and you know, be humble and and help raise everybody around you up. You know, that's a good point because um, mentoring is a really important part of my job. And um, I feel like I've learned just as much as I've taught people. I've had to, like, really, really know my stuff because there are people who are going to challenge it, and rightfully so. I have to have my answers in line, and sometimes their answers are right, and I have to go, you know what, that makes total sense. You were, you were right, I'm wrong. Uh, that's the humble part. Um, I think one of the other things is when years ago I I started my own startup um, and I lived that dream of exiting and retiring at 35, which really didn't happen. Um, But I had a lawyer and I was really struggling with my team because they didn't have that startup mindset, the the hustle and the, they they just looked at it as a job. Um, So when I, I sat down with a lawyer and asked for some advice, he said, you know, sometimes you're going to have to stand up and lead and, you know, tell these people what to do. And that maybe falls on the mentoring side, or if you're more aggressive, just be like Steve Jobs, or you're going to have to wait for people to catch up. And sometimes you'll be, and, and what he said is he sat, he would sit in a meeting room with his team and they would talk through a problem that he already had the solution to. 
but he had to let his team go through those steps and um, find the solution themselves. Because if he had just told them the answer, they would not have uh, understood. Does that make sense? Guys, this is a podcast. They're all nodding their heads. Go to podcast. I know it's... For, for sure, I agree. Thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, before we finish up, I want to point out that um, I, I met Eric and, and Sean for the first time at, at uh, Laracon a couple months ago, and they're like nine feet tall. So you would never know that because they sit down like under their video thing, and you'd never think that, but they're like, they're like giants. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Um, the, the Rick question. One last thing is, yeah, just just be honest with yourself and, and listen to these patterns that you see and see if you're doing them uh, daily. Just kind of check in with surrounding yourself with this type of stuff that you're causing. The gut check. Um, be, before we go, I do want to add one more thing. Like, yeah, we, I may be Eric and I may be nine feet tall, but I'm not nine feet wide. Right, Eric? Ouch. You're not good looking either. Yeah. Uh, that went, that went to a weird place. I'm not there. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, J-Mac's not coming back on the show. Crap. I take that back. Yeah. Now that I said that, I realize, yep, yeah, I really shouldn't have been fed. All right. Well, we just locked our PG rating. Anyways, let's uh, call the show here um, before it gets any more awkward. Um, but I think we had a good chat about, you know, management and dev strategy to help, you know, better ourselves. Not so much point out the failures, which was kind of an interesting way that chat went, where we didn't really talk about failures, but way to prevent these failures, way, way to succeed, really. And I think that was really awesome. Um, so with that being said, uh, thank you, Alfred, J-Mac, uh, TJ, and Eric for, you know, being on the show. Uh, J-Mac popped on last minute today. Um, no, probably not even wearing pants, I bet. Don't move your camera down, please. Um, hey, hey, hey. I can't kick that high, but I got jeans on. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. I thought I, about it. I appreciate it. So, um, so that's episode number 32. Um, <laughs> Management failures or dev failures. And um, so we'll be back in two weeks. We will uh, pick a topic probably the day before and fly by the seat of our pants as we always do. Um, there is no preparation in Lara Chat, um, except maybe Eric preparation age, but that's a whole different story. Anyway, uh, thank you all for coming on and thank you everyone for watching and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye now. Bye. Bye. See ya.